Welcome to the third and final message in this series called This Christmas, Let It Go. Pastor Allen explained to us over the last few weeks that Christmas is a celebration of God's gift to mankind, namely the reconciliation between God and humanity and between sinner and sinner. That's you and me. Today, Pastor Allen is asking for your help in spreading this amazing news to a broken, sad, and angry world people who are feuding or holding grudges. The temptation is to mind my own business or just stay out of it. But bitterness is like a cancer that eats people's spirit, leaving them cold and lonely, broken and separated from God. For that beloved friend or family member, the best gift you can give them this Christmas is the prayer, encouragement, and help to let it go. Let it all go. Let go of the hurt and resentment. After all, Christmas really is about reconciliation. Now here's Pastor Allen to teach us how we can help others. Good morning, everyone. This is the last week before Christmas, and I I pray, I pray for you that your hearts may be completely in line with what God wants for you. And what God wants for you is excellent relationships. In fact, we always say that at our church, that life is about relationships. So, so we've been talking for the last three weeks about, about reconciliation. We call this series, Let It Go. And for some of you, even now, even today, even, even on the way to church, somebody ticked you off, your children or your husband, your wife, I'm not sure which one. But you know, and uh, before I go any further, can I just invite you, ask you to let it go so that you can hear the next phase, the next thing you need to hear. Christmas is all about reconciliation. In fact, it's the major theme of, of all Christmas songs and all Christmas carols. And I just want to remind you of that carol. We've uh, reviewed it for the last two weeks. We'll review it one more week. And it goes like this, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So Christmas is a celebration of God's gift to mankind. And the gift that he gave us was a gift of his son, who would bring reconciliation between God and and his humanity. Last week we talked about how that includes more than just a reconciliation between God and us. It also includes reconciliation between sinner and sinner. In that Christmas carol we sing peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. But, it's, but the story of Christmas and the story of Christianity goes beyond just the reconciliation between God and people. It also is a celebration of reconciliation between sinner and sinner. Now, last week I encouraged everyone to, to let go of the past, and quoting the Snow Queen Elsa, it said it's time to let it go. But now, some of you are sitting here today saying, Pastor Allen, I would like to let it go. I want to be reconciled. I want to get along with with the people in my life. But there's some people, no matter how hard I try, we just can't be reconciled. We just can't connect. And Pastor Allen, quite frankly, I don't know what to do. Maybe it's you 
who is struggling to get right with God. And maybe it's you who is struggling to get right with someone in your life. No matter how hard you try, it's just not working. Or maybe you see someone who is struggling to get right with God. Or maybe you see someone who is struggling in the relationship with someone. And you're in a position where you can do something about it. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today is moving beyond just being reconciled to God and being reconciled to one another. It's moving to that place where now you are God's agent, where God is using you to help someone be reconciled. Reconciliation is never an easy thing. Quite frankly, uh, it's a terrifying thing. You feel your stomach tie up in knots, maybe... You, you, you can't eat, you lose your appetite, you you're break into a sweat. The thought of having to go and speak to that person who's hurt you or offended you is quite frankly almost more than you can take. Maybe you feel that uh, it's just not possible. Or maybe you feel, man, if somebody would just help me, if someone would just step in and act as a mediator... You know, Christmas is about reconciliation. And in case you're here today and you don't know what reconciliation is, let me just remind you. Simple definition of reconciliation is is as follows. It's the restoration. Can we put that slide up? It's the restoration of friendly relations. Would you say that with me? Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations. Now, here's the thing, folks. Every single person here today has had moments where you have had tension, you've experienced maybe something of a breakdown with maybe your spouse or your friends, your boss, people you work with, your neighbor, I don't know. I remember a few years ago, and you've heard me tell this story, uh, Gloria and I were getting ready for bed, we were already in our room, already tucked into bed, all ready to go to sleep, and all of a sudden we we hear this blood-curdling cry, this scream, and, uh, and then we got up to look out the window. I mean, what's going on in our neighborhood? And uh, turns out one of our neighbors was fighting with a neighbor across the street. And they were swearing each other, at each other, cursing each other. And then, then the neighbor beside us to our left, they got involved. And now there's a whole, there's a brawl going out. And then finally one of them must have remembered that I was a pastor. And uh, came knocking on the door and, and Pastor, Alan, you've got to come out here. You've got to help us. So I came out and started listening to the, to the story. None of it made any sense. How many know that so often when people come to fighting like that and none of it makes any sense? Turns out the neighbor that was screaming her head off was mad at the neighbor beside us because the neighbor beside us was supposed to pitch in for the, for the fence that they had built. It was a common fence. And the, the two neighbors couldn't agree on the amount that was owed. Well, it turns out the one who was screaming her head off was actually in the wrong. Don't you hate it when you're the one screaming your head off? And, and you're so righteous and you're just so right, but it turns out you're wrong? It makes you even matter, doesn't it? In fact, for so many people, it makes them dig their heels in and think, well, I'm going to prove I'm right. Two plus two equals six. I can prove it. And on and on it goes. So I came out and listened to this neighbor, then listened to the other neighbor, then listened to this neighbor, 
And the neighbor beside me, who could hardly speak English, shows me the numbers and in broken English tries to explain to me what's going on. Thankfully, I can read mathematics. Uh, not really well, but pretty good. And uh, turns out this neighbor's right. So he says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I said, I'll be right back. I went in the house, got my wallet out, and I said, we're going to make up the difference. Pay, give them whatever they want, and I'll, I'll make it up. I'll help out. The guy stands up, hugs me, and is kissing me, and it's like, that's enough. <laughs> you got a check out of me, that's, that's good enough. We, we calm him all down, and Gloria and I got to bed that night. But one of the things that struck me is just how easy it is for us to fly out of control. And how important it is to have somebody who will step in and help us in our hour of need. Some of us know people today who are battling and struggling and fighting with someone in their life. And quite frankly, the problem will not be solved unless you and I step up and do something about it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How can God use you to bring reconciliation to the people in your life who are really struggling and hurting? Now, I, I can tell you, we, we, all, we all know people who are feuding, and we all know people who are holding grudges. And I'm going to tell you, the temptation is just to mind your own business. How many know what I'm saying? Just, I'm not going to get involved. It's between them. Let them fight it out. I'm not getting, I'm going to just stay out of it. Because quite frankly, it can be just downright dangerous getting involved, can't it? I was reading about a school in, in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, a brawl broke out after school, and the police arrived on the scene, and the police were there to get these kids under control. And what happened was that, was that four of the police officers were seriously assaulted and had to be taken to the hospital. And of the five students that were arrested, guess how many were girls? Three of the five, which goes to show that women... I'm not going to complete that sentence. <laughs> How many girls are, girls are really terrible fighters? How many know that? That's not fair. Yeah. In Bible school, Oscar and Steve, standing in the common room. The common room is that area where the students gather. And they decide they're going to have some fun. They're waiting for supper. So... Oscar gives Steve a punch in the shoulder. We used to do that when we were kids. We'll see who can give in first or give up first. So Oscar lets Steve have it. <laughs> and Steve gives up to Oscar. Oscar gives it back. And now what's happening is these guys who are still smiling, but they're not really smiling. How many know what I'm talking about? And it's, it turns from a smile to a this. And it's back and forth now. And they're getting redder and redder. And they're starting to sweat. And you can see their eyes are welling up. They're not crying. They'll never cry. But their eyes are welling up. And it's getting bad now because now it's not a game. Now they're defending their honor. Their pride is at stake. And so all of us are sitting around there. And at first we were cheering them out. Go, Oscar. Go, Steve. You can do it. And all of a sudden, there's, a, there's dead silence in the room as these guys are pummeling each other. Now, remember, this is a Christian Bible college where we're training for the ministry. 
And these guys are killing each other. And so finally, like, we're looking at each other. We're looking at each other. What are we going to do next? How are we going to deal with this? And then our Bible college student body president, he stood up. And he got himself right in the middle of these guys to break it up. At first, he said, stop, you guys. You guys got to stop. How many know that doesn't work? Guys understand that won't work, right? It, it, it takes more than that. But so what Doug did is he got right in between these guys, and they started pummeling him. In hindsight, it's really quite funny. But at the time, at the time, it was terrible. But you know, want to know something? I never forgot that. That, to me, was a golden moment of Christianity in action. As I watched a man willing to risk his life in order to bring peace. Now, if there's anybody here today for whom Christianity is something new, maybe it's a, it's a new idea, you're not familiar with it, here's what you need to know about Christianity. Christianity is a religion of peace, of reconciliation, of healing, of peacemaking. The problem is that too many people who call themselves Christians, they forget this. I'm going to tell you this today. You never know what will happen when you try to help people get reconciled. You never know. It, you, you could be risking your life. But I can tell you this. Is that Jesus calls you to do that. He calls you to be involved in the process of bringing reconciliation to people who are at war with one another. Let me give you for an, a, a, an example. I'm going to tell you the story of a man by the name of Paul. He was also called Saul. He's the author of 32% of the New Testament. He's authored 13 of the 27 books that make up the New Testament. And uh, Saul's story, or Paul's story, begins like this. He was a rabbi, a Pharisee, highly educated, and very zealous for his Jewish faith. And then suddenly the Christians came on the scene, and the Christianity starting to grow, and and Saul is really quite alarmed at the growth of this religion. In fact, he feels that it is a threat to Judaism. So what does he do? Well, he gets together a team and they begin to fight against the Christians. Now, the only thing is, is that Christians don't fight. And so what he's doing is he's, he's destroying churches. He's literally blowing them up. He was the, the original terrorist, if you will. And he's murdering people. The book of Acts records Saul standing over the stoning of the godly Christian church leader Stephen. And now Saul, he's going to go and do his work around the world. His righteous work, his zealous work. He's going to get the church under control. He's going to destroy the church. So he goes to the chief priests. He says, give me a letter, give me the authority to do my work. And of course, the, the priests and the, the Pharisees are more than happy to give him his papers. And Now you go and you go and do, bring destruction to the church and destroy this cult called Christianity. Or in that, in that time, it was called the way. So he's on, his road to, on the road to Damascus, on his way there to, to capture Christians and put them in chains and, and drag them back to Jerusalem and to teach them a lesson. But on his way, he's confronted by God. And the Bible says there's a blinding light that comes that, that literally blinds him and it throws him to the ground. And he hears a voice from heaven and God says to, 
or Jesus himself says to, to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? And Jesus says, it's me, I'm Christ, the one you're persecuting. And then silence. Saul goes to a small town nearby. And while he's there, God is speaking to a Christian man by the name of Ananias. And God says to Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go to the man called Saul, the one who's been going throughout the land murdering Christians. And Ananias says, God, are you kidding me? You want me to go to the guy that wants to kill Christians? And God says, yes. Ananias, you're the man. I want you to go. I want you to lay your hands on him and pray for him that God, that, 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 that he would be healed. So Ananias puts up a bit of a struggle, but eventually he does exactly what God tells him to do. He goes to Paul, and, and God actually gives, gives Ananias the address where Paul is staying. He gets there, he lays his hands on him, and, and suddenly the Bible says what looks like scales fall from his eyes. And, and, and Saul can see, Paul can see. And the Bible says that then Ananias takes Saul, now who's murdering people for being Christians, he takes him and baptizes him. And Saul now is a Christian. God used Ananias to bring reconciliation between Paul and God. And you would think, well, it'll be smooth sailing now, right? Wrong. Paul goes to Jerusalem to the place that sent him out to kill Christians. He goes back to Jerusalem and he wants to meet up with the Christians there. But guess what the Christians are saying? It's a trap. Don't trust him. Have nothing to do with him. We're not going to meet him. Keep him away from us. But God speaks to a man by the name of Barnabas. And God says to Barnabas, Barnabas, you go. You sort it out. You make this reconciliation happen. And so that's exactly what Barnabas does. Barnabas, by the way, his name means son of encouragement. What an excellent name. Next kid, call him Barnabas. Barnabas goes and takes Paul and says, look, I'm going to introduce you to the Christians here. Now the Christians are like, they're terrified of this guy because he's a murderer. But through Barnabas, Paul is not only reconciled to the Christians in Jerusalem, but now he's embraced by them. And now the church is actually sending Barnabas and Paul out on missions trips. It blows your mind. All because Barnabas was willing to be God's agent in bringing reconciliation. Time goes on and Paul is busy doing his preaching and his teaching around the world, building and setting up new churches all over the world. And Paul and Barnabas are thinking, man, we got to get other young men involved in this work because we can't do it all ourselves. And so Barnabas says, well, here's a young man, a good Christian young man. His name is John Mark. Let's, let's bring him along, and we'll teach him how to preach the gospel, and there'll be three of us doing this great work. Paul thinks it's a great idea. Until the day when they're in a place called Pamphylia, John Mark, overwhelmed by the stress of preaching, overwhelmed by the stress of being rejected and being attacked. He says, I can't take it anymore. And he deserts Paul and Barnabas. And Paul is furious. He is livid. 
How dare that young man do that to us? But Barnabas, son of encouragement, the guy that believes in the second chance says to Paul, you know, we've got to give him another chance. How many of you are willing to give that person in your life a second chance, a third chance, a tenth chance, a hundredth chance? Quite frankly, you're worn out, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're fed up with that person in your life that keeps letting you down, that keeps on being miserable and insulting you and putting you down and letting you down and letting you down and you're fed up and Barnabas says, hey, we got to give him another chance. And Barnabas says, Paul says, no way. I'm not giving another chance. He had his chance and that's it. He's done. Barnabas and Paul had such a big fight over this that the Bible says they went their separate ways. Barnabas went his way. Paul went his way. Barnabas took John Mark, determined that he's going to Give him a second chance. And want to know what happens? Through Barnabas, John Mark is reconciled to Paul. And now Paul says about John Mark, he's useful to me. The guy who was useless is now useful. Why? Because Barnabas was willing to take a risk. He was willing to work some reconciliation between the great apostle and the stumbling young man. Now here's the thing, folks, because for so many of us, we think that as Christians that we can go on, as long as we are praying and going to church and having a relationship with God, as long as we're singing the songs and putting some money in the offering plate, that everything's cool. And here's what you need to understand. If you're not reconciled to the people in your life, it's not cool. If there's people in your life, even today, that you know, you, you know who it is. Because even as I'm speaking, the Spirit of God is poking you and reminding you of that person you're holding something against. The Bible says very clearly, you cannot be a follower of Christ if you're holding a grudge, if there's somebody that you've got something against. You know, I've given my whole life to helping people be reconciled. I've seen some people go, come to the very, very edge, the very verge of divorce. They've come, they've got a legal separation. They've, they've got the divorce papers drawn up. And at the last hour, the last minute, they've been reconciled. And I'm going to tell you, frankly, sometimes I just want to say, go ahead, end it. Don't bother working on it anymore. I'm tired. But you see, God has called me as he's called every one of us, to be in the business of being agents of reconciliation. Imagine if all of us here today recognize that we've been called by God to go and bring reconciliation and to help those people that we love who are holding a grudge and who've got broken relationships. Imagine if we were all engaged in that work of helping to bring reconciliation. What a world we live in today. But you see, this is what Christianity is about. And for some of us, we simply don't get it. You know, uh, the, here's the struggle. This is why sometimes I get frustrated. I, I, and I can tell you this. I've never said to a couple, you know what? You guys really should get a divorce. You're, you're hopeless. I've never said that. You happy, you'd be happy to know that. 
I've never said to anybody, you know what? I believe that, that anybody can be reconciled to anybody except in your case. You're the exception. I've never said that to anybody. I believe that as long as there's a desire and a willingness on behalf of two people to please God, to honor God, to follow God, I believe reconciliation is not just possible. I believe that God demands it. Because that, my friends, is what sums up the whole Bible. That's what sums up the meaning of life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love who? Your neighbor as yourself. You say, well, Pastor Al, my wife is not my neighbor. She's my wife. Well, hold on a minute here. Can I just remind you that in the Greek, when it's, we, we translate it as neighbor, but actually what it means is the person beside you. So if your wife is beside your husband, beside you, the people who are close to you, you're supposed to love them. You say, but Pastor Allen, he's hurt my feelings. She's hurt my feelings. And God says, yeah, and you've hurt mine. In fact, it sent me to a cross. If Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for me, is willing to forgive us our sins and willing to, and willing to be reconciled to us, don't you think that you can be reconciled to that person in your life? You say, Pastor Ellen, you don't know what she's like. <laughs> Pastor Ellen, you don't know what he's like. Pastor Ellen, you don't know what my kids are like. Pastor Ellen, you don't know what my mother's like. You don't know what my father, you don't know what my boss is like. I can pretty much guess. I can pretty much guess that they're probably just like you. Ouch. Jesus calls us with all of our failings, with all our weaknesses. He calls us to love one another. Not because we're easy to love, and some people, frankly, are easier to love than others. How many would say amen to that? You know what I'm talking about. There's some people that are just a little bit more difficult to love. And yet God calls us to love everyone without exception. Ananias helped Paul be reconciled to God. Barnabas helped Paul be reconciled to the church. Barnabas helped Paul be reconciled to John Mark. And for this reason, Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20. Look at this. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Can we stop there for a moment? If God is no, no longer willing to count your sins against you, don't you think you could do the same for others? That's the message of Christianity. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, a restoration of, family, of friendly relations. So we are Christ's ambassadors, Paul says. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I'm going to tell you today, if there's, you're holding some resentment, some anger, some bitterness in your heart towards someone, you've got to let it go today. You've got to let it go. Because whether you know this or not, you need to understand that it's impossible for you to have a relationship with God while failing to have a relationship with the people in your life. All of them. There are many people 
who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, are you ready for this? It's simply not true if there's unforgiveness or an unwillingness to be reconciled. You cannot call yourself a follower of Christ. People who follow Jesus do what Jesus did. And Jesus is ready and willing to forgive. There's a, a very profound passage of scripture. It's found in Matthew 5, 9, and it says this. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You cannot call yourself a child of God while you are living in anger, resentment, or at war with any human being. The people who make peace and are reconciled are the real children of God. And folks, that means those who make the effort to be reconciled and those who come alongside and help make the reconciliation possible, like Ananias and, and Barnabas. You are the children of God. But even more than that, look at this. Jesus says, blessing belongs to the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm going to tell you, this blessing, this happiness, always comes to those who are working on reconciliation. Those who work at reconciliation, they have the blessing of God, which means this. It means you're going to have good mental health. You're going to have good emotional health. You're going to have good relational health. Because I'm telling you, folks, if you're learning how to be reconciled to people, then you're going to know how to continue that process with everybody in your life. And you're going to have great physical health. Psychologists, psychiatrists make it clear to us today that those who hold resentment and bitterness in their hearts are those whose health are affected. I want to just share with you a story in closing of a woman by the name of Mrs. Walters. Mrs. Walters is an elderly lady that I knew as a child. Mrs. Walters sat in the same section as my grandparents did at the church at Calvary, called Calvary Temple, downtown Winnipeg. Mrs. Walters would have been a little older than my grandmother. She was one of the most godly, gentle, sweet people I've ever known. In fact, when we think of a godly, elderly Christian woman, she's the kind of person that would come to mind. Not, not a vicious bone in her body. Not a malicious word would come off her lips. Gentle, kind, sweet, encouraging. I remember her in the prayer room praying, praying for the church, praying for the pastor, praying for the young people. She was just a sweet, godly woman. And then one day I picked up a book written by Pastor Barber on the life of Mrs. Walters. And the title of that book was Murder Most Foul, Murder Most Foul, and Forgiveness Most Gracious. My sister may remember it. And uh, I remember opening that book and seeing the picture of Mrs. Walters in the flyleaves, just a beautiful picture of her there reading her Bible began to read this book that turned out to be one of the most shocking books I've ever read. You see, back in 1931, September 3rd, 1931, there was a man that was boarding at her house. It was the 1930s, money was scarce, there was no social network or, or, or uh, no, way to, no way for her to get the help that we would take for granted today. 
She had to take in a boarder to help make ends meet. Her son, George, 18, he couldn't find a job, and so it was, it was really critical that she had this boarder who helped pay the, pay the rent and pay the bills and put food on the table. She herself had a part-time job, and with that, she was able to support herself and her three children. John Stribe started coming on to her and saying, I want to marry you, Mrs. Walters. Mrs. Walters wanted no part of it. But he kept on insisting and insisting and insisting. And finally, she just said, look, it, this is never going to happen. Don't ever ask me this again. Again, not, not listening to her plea, she finally said, okay, I want you to move out. I want you to get your things and be out of here by the time I get home from work today. When she got home from work that day, she found her two daughters and her 18-year-old son murdered by John Stribe. John Stribe was collected, taken to the hospital because he'd slit his own throat hoping to die, hoping that he could teach this woman a lesson who wouldn't respond to his overtures of love. John got better, taken to Headingley Jail. There's a court case, pled no contest. His sentence was to be hanged by the neck at Headingley Jail. Mrs. Stribe, or Mrs. Walters, overcome by grief, not knowing what to do or how to handle her horrible grief, went to her pastor and said, Pastor, tell me what to do because I want to die myself. Now, I can't imagine having one child murdered, but imagine all of your children. And what follows is really quite shocking. Because when she went to her pastor and said, what should I do? You know what the pastor said? He said, you need to go to the jail and you need to tell him that you forgive him. And at first she was horrified and angry at the suggestion that she should have to go and say, I'm, I forgive you for murdering my children. But you see, this pastor understood the human heart and the human mind better than any psychiatrist or psychologist. He understood that she needed to lay this down. She needed to let it go. She needed to offer forgiveness, not so much for his sake, as much as for her own sake. And so he, she went to the jail. And she says that she felt the power of God come upon her as she said to John Stribe, I forgive you. She said it felt like all the poison draining out of her system. And in place of all the bitterness and the anger and the resentment and all the hatred and all the things that go along with anything so heinous, she said she felt the love of God flood her heart and her mind and her soul. And John Stribe, just before he passed, before he was hanged by the neck, he asked God to forgive him of his sin. And Pastor Barber records in his book that John Stribe asked Jesus to forgive him. Now, I want you to stop for a moment and think of this. 
This pastor acted as God's agent to bring reconciliation. And it was the very thing that saved Mrs. Walter's life. I want you to know today two things. First of all, you need to forgive that person who's hurt you or offended you. You need to let it go for your sake, for your mental health, for your emotional health, for your well-being. You need to let it go. You need to say, I forgive you. And the second thing you need to know is that somebody needs you to be what Mrs. Walters had, a pastor who is willing to step in and help and do whatever it took to bring healing and reconciliation. Is there somebody today in your life that needs your help? I'm guessing that there is. I'm guessing that there's somebody right now who needs you to step in and say, help me be reconciled to my brother, to my sister, to my mother, my father. Help me. Because today, Pastor Allen, I'm just feeling such anger, such resentment, such bitterness. You need to let it go. And if you're one of those people today that has nothing, everything's cool, all your relationships are A-OK, then you need to be an agent of reconciliation. You need to go help somebody get things right. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this message of reconciliation. We know, God, today the only thing that will make us happy, the only thing that brings good mental health, good emotional health, good physical health, is if we have no relational debts. God, we pray today that if there's uh, anyone here that is struggling with somebody, that this would be the day they would get things sorted out because that's what Christmas is about. It's about reconciliation. It's about peace on earth and goodwill to all people. But God... Uh, Maybe we're the person that's able to help somebody, to help somebody who's struggling even now. Give us the grace and the strength to step up to the plate and do whatever it takes to make things right. Help us, oh God, to be agents of healing. And so we thank you today, God. This may be the very best Christmas present we get or give. So we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go be reconciled with someone.